Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you today? I'm alright, how are you? I'm alright, I'm ready for some ghostly sexy history. I know, sexy ghostly Spooky sexy history? Some of which is spooky and some of which is also sexy apparently. Yeah, we found that just as we were reading through the ones that Oliver had put in and found that he put one as a doomed romance i'm not going to ruin what it is but it's not very romantic no well yeah, but it, it's it pretty does, sexy it's pretty, if well, you're into that you know depending on what you're into and we're not going to kink shame we're not we're not kink shaming not no. going to this is that's not what we're here for <laughs> whatever floats your boat makes us happy too as long as there's two consenting Adult. beings yeah. <laughs> two well, I don't even care about the number. However many people there are, as well as they're consenting, an yeah. adult, how, if ghosts have ages, they should be of yeah. an adult age. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, we're opening a whole question there, like, as with vampires, like, if the ghost died as a six-year-old, but it's been a ghost around for 200 yeah. years, is it 206 or is it still six? This is one of obviously the crucial dramatic points of hit film Interview with the Vampire. Maybe the books as well, I don't know, haven't seen it. It is a bit a significant plot point in the book too, yeah, which is better than the poor, film. Poor Kirsten Dunst being all poor little Dunst. Yeah, but she has the mind of a woman. Mm. And do you think this happens for ghosts or Yeah, well, I guess it that depends on what a ghost is. Like is a ghost you're you arrested at the moment of your death, in which case Yeah. Maybe you never age. You're just six forever. Yeah. I feel like when you talk about like modern ghosts, that's what you get. Like they tend to be at a point yeah. in their life and they're just kind of in that point forever. They don't maneuver around in any way and they don't move on or age or like engage with the world in a way that would allow them to mature. They're just stuck in that place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Who can so say? So there you go. So you go, see, we're spooky, we're sexy, and we're philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> get everything. And also we've done, did you notice oh. how we did some, it was not foreshadowing, but like that was like the cold open. Mm. And now people are going to have to hang around to find out what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, what are we talking about? Today we're answering a question from John Freeman, who I suspect if he had his way would have this podcast be, what questions does John Freeman have? <laughs> Which is fine, because he asks good questions. Yeah. But, I mean, I think if we were going to do that, we'd probably want some sort of fee. We would. Yeah. We would. If you if we're going to be your personal podcaster, then there's a cost. We're available for hire. Yeah. yeah. But it is for hire. <laughs> but the question that he has asked is, what are the best ghost stories in history? This is a broad question, and I can't guarantee we're going to be able to give you the best, because I cannot... I do not think we're capable of finding and reading all of history's all ghost of stories. There are a lot. There are a lot. And when you like, get back into the past, it's also very hard to tell whether this was a whether this ghost story started out as someone's personal sighting or whether it was written as a deliberate story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Especially uh, when some cause some of them do seem to be the more ancient ones do seem to have morality clauses at the end. Like, okay. They do, yeah. but to be fair, everything has a morality clause at the end in ancient history. So that is true. It's important that you know they weren't. They didn't have time for subtlety, right? Paper was expensive. <laughs> it was, and no one's got. Everyone is very busy and very tired, and sometimes it gets dark really early, and then everyone has to go to bed because it's either that or hang out with a 
candle. So just get this over with quick as we can. Yeah. But yeah, it is tough to tell whether Soft is supposed to be fictional or non-fictional or somewhere in between the two or even if it makes a difference. Mm. But there's a a huge amount of ghost stories and also different types of ghosts, which is quite fun. Yeah. Like there's quite a, a big range of understandings of what a ghost is other than like somebody who has died returning in some form. Yeah, and there's something that shared across a whole bunch of different cultures basically every culture has some form of ghost story yeah as well see this is what it really interested me because i was reading obviously i just decided to do ancient ones because i like ancient history the best (laughs) so i just found loads of ancient ones and the ancient ones are generally not very scary like modern ghost stories like you know the woman in black or Mm. the house on haunted what no Wanting um, of Hill House. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, I keep calling it all like 75 different things and never the right thing. But all of those things, the the fear is basically that the ghost exists. Like mm. the very existence of the ghost is frightening and the ghost is always angry in some way. Yeah. And like quite a lot of it is just the very, just the very existence of a, of an afterlife that interacts with the modern world is in some way cursed and haunted and evil. And whereas past ancient ghost stories tend to be less, like the fear is not that ghosts exist. Everyone seems to be pretty cool with the fact that ghosts exist. It's just when they do fucked up things. Yeah. And there always seems to be a rationale for that as well. Like um, in ancient Mesopotamia, a ghost was called a giddim and it wasn't so much your spirit upon death, but it was a being that took on your memories and personality to sort of recreate an afterlife version of you. And they require offerings from your relatives. And if your relatives fail to provide their offerings, then they come back and cause misery and make people sick to the point where some medical treatments in ancient Mesopotamia required patients to provide confessions about how they might have mistreated or failed their dead loved ones um, <laughs> before they, their illnesses could be cured. Well, it's very important. Like, just fess up to what you did that means that you deserve this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's very, very common. Because the oldest one that I found was from somewhere between 1189 and 1077 BCE. So quite a long time ago. Solid 3,000 years. And it's just called in classic ancient history style because uh, the Egyptians weren't great on snazzy names for stuff. So this is <laughs> New Kingdom Egypt. They mm-hmm. weren't great on snazzy names. And so it's just called A Ghost Story. Mm-hmm. And we only have it in fragments, but it's on... Um, inscribed on pottery um so somebody wrote it on some pottery mm-hmm. uh, on like fragments of pottery and we don't have all of the fragments unfortunately who knows what happened to the rest of them but we have bits of them but it's basically about a high priest called Consumhab who comes home one day to find that a ghost called I'm gonna attempt its Egyptian pronunciation. Nebu Nebu Semek is in his house, and it's kind of sad, basically. Um, and this ghost now lives in his house, and is whinging. And he's sad because his tomb has collapsed, 
He's been dead for a long time and his tomb has collapsed and nobody remembers where he's buried. <laughs> and because nobody remembers that it's there, nobody is bringing him food and water anymore. Mm -hmm. So, and or fire. Um, and he's cold and he's hungry. And he is worried that if people don't bring him food, uh, then he's going to cease to exist altogether. He's just going to kind of dissipate into the air. And so Consumab basically promises that he will build him a new tomb. He's going to find where he's buried. He's going to build him a new tomb and then he's going to give him 10 servants and they're going to bring him food every day. It's going to be great. And the spirit's like, I don't believe you. You're just saying that, so I'll go away. He's quite needy, to be honest. <laughs> um, he's like, I don't believe you. You're gonna, you're just saying that, so I'll go away. And Consumab's like, no, 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 I promise. I'm gonna find your grave. I'm gonna rebuild it. And then he goes out and he's asking questions and he does find the grave. And there it ends. Aww. But the fear is not like a kind of a fear that the ghost is going to hurt you in some way. Like, the scary bit of the story is becoming the ghost who is forgotten. Mm. Yeah. Like, that you will be forgotten and then you will cease to exist, that you'll have this kind of abandoned afterlife of just being by yourself mm -hmm. and then you'll dissipate away instead of having a kind of happy afterlife. Like, that's the existential terror yeah. of the story. Um, and the idea of, like, you have to, like, physically give sustenance to people in the afterlife is very common in ancient societies um, yeah and that you have to treat them well in death in general like the um i read somewhere that the sort of general philosophy around egyptian ghosts which were known as ah which was um, a combined a combinement of two of the elements that make up the human soul was the idea behind it and um if proper burial rites weren't followed, then an ach could be could get dispensation from the gods to return to earth um, to redress the wrong of how they were buried, at which point whoever did them wrong would just have to plead with them and say, please forgive me and go away. Yeah, That's, basically. Yeah. And, but that whole idea is very, like, have you ever read Antigone or mm -hmm. seen Antigone? Like, that begins with her brother dying and while in revolt against the king her uncle and the uncle forbids anyone from burying him and then Antigone is torn between burying her brother because if she doesn't bury him then his soul will never be put to rest yeah um, and he will never be able to like go into the the underworld but she will either has to betray her uncle or betray her brother um, and she's kind of torn between the two yeah and that you know that if you don't don't put this the body to rest then the soul will never rest is is a whole big thing yeah it'll just wander the world and be sad yeah that's but also... it won't necessarily like terrorize you or fling stuff around your house <laughs> or like give you weird visions or i have been watching the haunting of hill house i'm just probably straight <laughs> off of that uh, or turn all the lights off or like fuck with time or all the other stuff that happens yeah. it is yeah. it does seem like an ancient i mean it comes up in modern ghost stories as well i think fictional ones anyway but it does seem more of a thing where ancient ghosts come back for a specific reason as well like there is a story in Pliny the younger who talks about a large roomy house house in athens that is up for very cheap rent because no one will live in it because they can hear the clashing of iron coming from the house, which sounds like rattling chains if you listen closely enough. 
Um, so a philosopher called Athenodorus rented the house at this very, very cheap rate. But when he moved in, the spectre appeared before him of an old emaciated man with chains binding his wrists and ankles. Um, and he beckons towards Athenodorus to follow him. He leads him into a courtyard where, whereupon he vanishes. The next day, Athenodorus has that spot dug up and finds that there has been there is a skeleton in chains underneath the cobblestones of the, or the paving stones of the courtyard. And then mm-hmm. he gives him a proper burial and the ghost disappears and isn't seen again. And it is just that thing of... Okay, so you give them yeah. a proper burial and everyone's happy. And then they go away. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. like the whole idea even behind... Like, well, that's what the main character thinks is the issue in the haunting of, not the haunting of Hill House, in um, The Woman in Black, if I'm not wrong. That he tries to bury her body, mm. uh, thinking that that will be, will put her to rest, and it just doesn't. <laughs> she's, she's just angry to stay. Yeah. But that idea that there is some kind of either unfinished business, or I think in a lot of modern ones, like the idea that if you died violently, then it will leave part of you in some place. Yeah. That will that mean that you will be there um yeah and there are sometimes distinctions between that like uh ancient china apparently ghosts uh were either people who drowned who died alone who died in battle or who were left unburied and they would appear um at night by torchlight and they were distinct from ancestral spirits who would come to you in dreams and give you warnings and pass on messages it's like they're very different entities but both you know appearances from beyond the grave yeah Mm. Yeah, no, lots of unfinished business, lots of people dying horribly. But I think those are very, like, relatively modern ideas. There's lots of good Raymond stories, but Raymond's basically, much like the Egyptians, they kind of treated ghosts like like we would treat spiders. Mm-hmm. Like, they're something that aren't great, but you just sort of, they're just there. Yeah. Like, no one loves having a spider in their house. <laughs> or, like, like flies. Yeah. Yeah. Flies maybe is a better thing. Like when it's hot, it's the summer, you open all the windows and flies come in and it's really annoying. So you have to get out like fly sweaters and fly spray and stuff and try to get rid of them. And that's basically what the Romans did. So they would do like little rituals to get rid of ghosts that were around. Like they had about five different types of different spirit and different ghosts and things. And they would go and they would do things where they went out and cared for their ancestors graves to make sure that they were happy and mm-hmm. still in the grave <laughs> uh, very important and they would have various rituals during the year where they would try to they had like cleansing rituals where they would go around the house and throw beans into corners basically sure. in order to keep away evil spirits from the house like evil ghosts and then three times a year they would do this thing where this is, I mean, this is all stuff that I know I say this a lot, but like nobody writes about this stuff when they're writing about Romans. No one's ever like, oh, and then it was Mundus Patet times three, where <laughs> they opened up the fucking ghost hole that was in the middle of Rome and let all the ghosts out for the day, mm-hmm. which they did three times a year. That's amazing. This, it is. So this is basically this, no one's really sure whether it was like, because it's not there anymore, mm. but it's either as kind of pit or a kind of vault or a cavern of some kind that was on the Palatine Hill, so bang in the centre of Rome. Um, And it was supposedly dug by Romulus, the founder of Rome, and it was supposed to be like a point where the 
kind of fabric between the underworld and the physical world was kind of thinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so normally it was covered up with a big stone, but then three times a year they would open up the hole and let all the ghosts out. And if the ghosts wanted, they could come out from the underworld and have a float about Rome. <laughs> Just chill. No, I'm not really sure why. No one really knows anything about this because there's only like three or four references to it and they're all really weird and obscure and they all describe it in that way that everyone describes things, like the way that you describe things everyone's familiar with. Yeah. Like you just go, oh yeah, it's Monday's past day. Yeah, um, you know what that is. You know what it's Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. Like no big descriptions of it because it's such a mundane thing. And so all the ghosts come out and then... Then they close the hole up again. That's it. So <laughs> that's nice. Just be nice like, let them have a breather. Yeah, yeah. Stretch your legs. Yeah, stretch your legs. Have them. and there's quite a lot of writing about it. That's like mostly from like the 1920s and stuff. That's like, well, actually, it wasn't about ghosts at all. It was actually about grain. And you're like, all ghosts. Like, yeah. no point does anyone mention grain. Just ghosts. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was the ghosts of bread maybe but they're, they're always trying to make there's a certain type of roman historian that's always tried to make all of their religious stuff about ghosts not <laughs> religious or ghosty like they didn't really believe it uh, <laughs> but they had yeah they had the big ghost hole and they Why would let would all the ghosts want out your ancient romans to not be into crazy religion and ghost stuff it's so much you more know, fun when they are it is, I'll tell you what it is, Janine. <laughs> it's our favourite subject. It's that the people who were writing in the 19th and early 20th centuries all basically thought that they were Romans. Yeah. You'll note that, like, most, like, large sections of London look like Roman temples. <laughs> I was, um, I didn't, I skimmed a headline earlier, uh, like, last week about why um, sort of Renaissance era people were so determined to believe that ancient roman statues had never been painted <laughs> because they yes. wanted that ideal of this crisp clean white aesthetic and so there's the one that was in the new yorker possibly yeah i like i say yeah. i skimmed the headline and now i'm talking about it authoritatively um, <laughs> <laughs> for reasons if you do it with confidence no one will ever know exactly i learned from white men and yeah, I find that a really interesting concept, like being so determined to live up to an ideal that you have made up about people who are vastly different from your assumptions. It's yeah. delightful. Uh, well, they yeah, they just they want they thought that because like a lot of the writings, the main writings that survive are Stoic philosophers and Stoic historians mm. writing about like this kind of Stoic morality of stiff upper lip and don't react to stuff and writing about excess and things like that that makes it look like all romans were like that and they also had a massive empire Mm -hmm. and those two things were what english men liked the most uh, conquering people and stiff upper lip (laughs) so they basically and shiny white i mean the fact of the ruins helps a lot in making people want to be like the Romans because they're like, look at these amazing things they built. They must have been amazing. Mm. And they were amazing, but they were amazing in very different ways. They weren't like paragons of morality and joy that you would want to be. They were, in fact, just ordinary people. With a ghost hole. With a ghost hole. (laughs) Um. Yeah, and at least two 
emperors who haunted places too which is quite good that is very good yeah unfortunately like so there's like two good writers i'm gonna do one from from fleegan of trials later because it's so good um when i say good i mean horrifying but the other one is suetonius and they both were writing at the same time and they're both like kind of middle class upper middle class dudes who were writing under the emperor hadrian and he was really big on collecting weird stories and so there's a bit in suetonius's life of augustus um where he's talking about like where he was born and he says oh and if you still go there today then you can't go into his nursery unless you make sacrifices to Augustus because they're, they're like powerful forces. His, he still haunts it and his ghost is there and he'll throw you out <laughs> and you get like screaming and he will force you out of the room unless you make sacrifices to him and basically beg for entrance. Wow. Um, I would like people good. to do that just when they come to my house while I'm alive. <laughs> um, well, I just think like Augustus... Augustus was so cool and he did so much and he went all over the world and he conquered all these places and then he like literally created the concept of being emperor for the Romans Mm -hmm. and set up that whole thing that went on for like a thousand years uh, and then went back to his nursery and shouted at it for the rest (laughs) of time. (laughs) It's very very good. Yeah, he just died and was like, you know where I want to be. Yeah. Home of my nursery. The other one is Caligula. Caligula like haunted gardens near where he was killed um, and they kind of buried him in a shallow grave mm-hmm. and so Suetonius also says that he haunted there and there were like weird noises and people saw like odd things up there until his sisters came back and buried him properly fair enough I mean I would I would haunt people if I wasn't happy with how I'd been buried oh no. really I so mean... you're gonna have to make some very leave some very clear guidance about your funeral in that case. I mean I want I would I would Go with donate my body for medical research, you know. Okay. So, so if you we don't donate your body so, for yeah. medical research, you're going to come back and haunt us. And then, but there'll be no fixing it because by that point it will be too poorly degraded and no one will want yeah. it. That's a, yeah. On the other hand, if we need you back, then... Yeah. Which I um, assume you will because, you know. Yeah, I mean, we will. What would we do without you? But, I mean, I see one problem with this, Janina... Which is that neither you or I believe in ghosts. There is a problem. But, you know, I am perfectly willing to be proved wrong when I'm dead. <laughs> to, you're going to do your darndest <laughs> to, to be the one that proves us wrong. I mean, to be fair, if there is an afterlife, spending it still on Earth is the most boring version of that. Yeah. So. Like, think of all the... If there's an afterlife, then there must be, like, other cool realms that you could yeah. be exploring yeah don't also there's like whenever i think about whether ghosts really exist i like think about harry houdini always said that when he died if there was an afterlife and a way to get back then he would find it Mm. and his wife for 10 years after he died held seances like loads of seances to try to contact him because she was like he always said he would come back if there is a way back he's coming back and after the tenth one, they broadcast on the radio, like the tenth year. Um, I think they did it on like the anniversary of his death. And she was like, "If he's not coming now, then he's never coming." And obviously, it was a massive letdown because he did not come back yeah. from the dead to contact her or in any appear in any way, even as a you know 
Ouija board thingy moving across. Well, Ouija boards are, are, were made up, so I don't think I mean, yeah, they sure. would be the, the key but you know. indicator. That's my favourite was... thing is that Ouija boards are just a board game there or invented and sold as a toy. <laughs> and yes. they have spawned like some of the great horror traditions of modern cinema. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's good, it? makes me very yeah. happy. But like that whole... Um... I'm a big fan of like all of that like Victorian period spiritualism. Mm. There was where everybody believed in ghosts everywhere and like people were pumping out a ghost story every 20 minutes. Yeah, it's great. I have a not quite Victorian era, but close enough ghost story. Okay. Um, if you want it. It's the story Go of Lady then. Dorothy Walpole. I do. Um, I like her. She's great. She's known now as the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall. Brown she was, lady, though. I know. It's not the best, but yeah. you work with what you like. I, I guess she didn't choose. Um, I guess. She didn't get, is this what she died in? I, I mean, no one has clarified that that I can tell, <laughs> but I assume so. Um, okay. So Lady Dorothy was the wife of Charles Townsend, who was known to have a bit of a temper. Mm-hmm. And she died possibly of the smallpox, but apparently we don't really know, at the age of 40 in, I think, 1725. Okay. And before she died, in the days before her death, her husband had discovered she'd been having an affair with a man named Thomas Wharton, who was known to be a bit of a bit of a rogue. Um, shagger. Bit yeah, of a shagger. Bit of, bit of a wild shagger. Okay. So her husband locked her in her rooms in anger over her affair. Um, and then it's not... I couldn't find any confirmation of if she died while she was locked in her rooms or if that just happened before she died, coincidentally. But um, anyway, it's bound up in it somehow. Then the first recorded sighting of her after she died was more than 100 years later when there was a Christmas party, one of those old-fashioned English Christmas parties where people stay for like a week in a great country house. And uh, two or three of the guests reported seeing a woman in an old-fashioned brown dress as they went to their bedrooms in the evenings. And their reports were clear enough that they led to several staff members resigning immediately and never coming back. Um, A year after that, a guy called Captain Frederick Marriott invited himself to the house and asked to be put in her room or the room where she had most often seen and where there was a portrait of her hanging in order to disprove the stories. But he did sleep with a loaded revolver under his pillow, which seems like a very, (laughs) very bad idea. The first couple of nights he was there, he saw nothing and was feeling very cocky about it all and judgmental about people who had seen her. But on the third night, just as he was getting undressed ready for bed, Two of the young men who were staying in the house who were nephews of the current baronet who had that seat um, asked him to come down to their room and check out a gun they'd just got. Because you buy a gun, you want to show off to your friends, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. So he went down to their room and buyed their gun and then as he was leaving to return to bed, they joked that they should go with him uh, to protect him from the brown lady. And so the three of them walked back along the corridor and as they were walking there I saw a lamp moving towards them um, they assumed that it was one of the women who was staying in the house on her way to the nursery to check on the children and since um, since Captain Marriott was in his in his undies he was embarrassed and he hid behind the, <laughs> behind a, a nearby door um, and then his daughter so this is his daughter is reported on what he saw and she said I have heard him describe how he watched her approaching nearer and nearer through a chink in the door until as she was close enough for him to distinguish the colours and style of her costume, he recognised the figure as the the simile 
of the portrait of the brown lady. He had his finger on the trigger of his revolver and was about to demand it to stop and give the reason for its presence there when the figure halted of its own accord before the door behind which he stood and holding the lighted lamp she carried to her features, grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. This act so infuriated my father, who was anything but lamb-like in disposition, that he sprang into the corridor with a bound and discharged his revolver right in her face. The figure instantly disappeared. The figure which for several minutes, three men had been looking together, and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room opposite and lodged in the panel of the inner one. That's a good spooky story. I know. Was he then convinced that, like, that ghosties were real? He and... then decided to stop looking. Oh, okay. <laughs> that yeah. was that was enough for him. Uh, which uh, is which that is was... fair. You see one, you see them all, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. If you've seen one, like you've had one experience, you've had all the experiences you need mm. to have. I like that the scariest thing it did was to smile at him in an awkward manner. I know. She just kind of like, grinned at him and he shot and her in the face. Brown. Yeah. yeah. Grinned at him evilly. I guess he's lucky that it was a ghost and not a living woman. Yeah, what, just lurking about peeping through doors? Yeah. And being shot at. And being shot at. I read some stuff about how. Like one of the reasons, or one of the hypothesized reasons why, like the seventeenth and or the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries were like they're so ghosty. It's like there's so many ghost stories from that period is because basically people were moving from the country into big homes that they were building as a result of the industrial revolution, mm-hmm. and then they were like big creaky homes that were full of servants who didn't know them very well and then everything was just lit with candles so it was very flickery so it's basically just big homes with lots of corners and flickery candles <laughs> um which just freaked everybody the fuck out it's fair i mean candlelight is creepy it is very creepy and you're always like you know seeing little movements because the candle flickers yeah um, my other the other good theory that i read that i really liked was the, the Victorian period is when gas lamps came in. People started having gas lamps in their house. Yeah, and so they started to get gas poisoning. Yeah, everyone got carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Which does make you hallucinate. It does make you hallucinate and forget stuff as well. Like yeah. a lot of ghost stories are about like lost time and like, how did I get here? Where did I like get, I'm lost in my own house. Mm-hmm. And as we all know from the infamous Reddit carbon monoxide poisoning thread. Such a great thread. Such a great thread. Carbon monoxide poisoning makes you do stuff and not remember that you did it. Yeah. So that you think someone has broken into your house and is leaving post-it notes around saying, pay the council tax. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Until eventually you set up cameras and find that you yourself are doing it. He didn't set up a correct camera, though. He just opened a folder on his desktop, labelled it camera and didn't connect yes. to anything. Yes, yes he did. <laughs> and very, very luckily, someone on Reddit was like, mm, check your gas you readings, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like if you, like, didn't have somebody to say, check your gas meeting, or didn't even know that carbon monoxide poisoning was a possibility, like, if you were wandering around doing stuff, forgetting you were doing it, and then finding things all over your house and yeah. then there's weird flickers and then everything is and you're in a big house that yeah. you don't know that well then i think feel like you could very like there's a reason why all the stories come from that time and even now when we make ghost stories then 97 percent set in big yeah, georgian and victorian houses houses yeah 
Yeah, but I like the idea that it's just a fucking generation of people with carbon monoxide <laughs> and scared servants yeah. um, leaping at everything that, like, leaping basically at each other coming out of the out of the shadows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watching their dressing gowns move on the back of the wall because they're lit by candles. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's catching fire left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, which is fun. And, it's, you know, it would explain why ghosts kind of stop being physical and then become kind of poltergeisty. Yeah. Uh, I read another thing, which is a guy called Roger Clark. He's written a cultural history of ghosts and he had defined eight types of ghost, some of which I don't really understand. Like, I don't know what a mental imprint manifestation is supposed to be. Mm. But he calls poltergeists, like his description of poltergeists is, in inverted commas, council house ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> what does he mean by that? I don't, I think that is it just like, like some light classism? I think so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's because, like, he also has historical ghosts. Uh-huh. So, like... I think he was trying to say that you get, like, Lady Jane Grey appearing. Right. The upper classes don't move your furniture around, that's what he's yeah. saying. Whereas when you get, like, council house ghosts, then you get, like, you just get an invisible spirit that's, like, wanging your bed yeah. against the wall or... Throwing marbles like, at your, your kettle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, throwing your cat across the room. Sure. Um, the... Yeah, so, because you don't get Lady Jane Grey showing up in a council. <laughs> but still, I found Looking quite at funny. you, sadly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and getting yeah. balefully gazing, or a brown lady of whatever. Yeah. Never the brown lady of, I don't know, council house in Warwick. Well, to mix the idea, well, it's not really the, the mix of ideas, it's nothing poltergeisty about it, but it kind of, I just love this. I love this story. It's probably not true. I mean, I don't believe in ghosts, but um, there's a story about Abigail Adams, who was the wife of America's second president, John Adams, which means that she was the first mistress of the White House and had to deal with the fact that it was only half built, very, very cold and damp and plonked in the middle of swamps. Yep. And basically a very difficult place to live in. Because of this, it was very difficult to get laundry dry and she would carry it around to find the warmest spot. There was a particular room that was a little bit warmer and drier than the rest of the house. So she would hang laundry there to try and dry it. And there have been sightings of her scampering around the White House, just carrying piles of laundry in her arms, trying to get it okay. to, to a bit running around. running around. That's her unfinished laundry. business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, is what, that is what haunted her life and it is what haunts her death is laundry. That would suck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if your thing was, like, forever and ever in the afterlife, you have to just do the this, like, do fucking laundry. My, like, the thing that haunts me was Yeah. Like, ugh. You just have to run around doing the hoovering for the rest of time. (laughs) It would be awful. It would be awful. Yeah, I think there's quite a few stories about the White House being haunted, but it's mostly like people on tourist tours being like, I saw Abraham Lincoln in the bed over yeah, there. And everyone wants like, to see Abraham Lincoln. I know, right? Yeah. Um, apparently, Winston Churchill claims that he saw Lincoln in the White House, in the bedroom. Sure you did, Winnie. Which seems a bit much, to be honest. It does seem a bit like, much. What was Winston Churchill thinking? Why would he yeah. say that? There's another oh. sort of close to the founding father's ghost story that I quite like, partly because of Hamilton, but um, it's, about, <laughs> it's about 
Theodosia Burr Alston um, of the Dear Theodosia Theodosias, who died both young and mysteriously. So obviously there was going to be a ghost story about her. And also she was, you know, her father was famous and also kind of famously bad. Just after, so Aaron Burr, her father, who was um, famously shot Alexander Hamilton in a duel, shortly after that incident was charged with treason um, for trying to, I think, by force steal Mexico from the Spanish um, or something along those lines. And he mm-hmm. was acquitted, but um, in shame fled to Europe for four years. After he returned in 1812, several months after Theodosia set sail from her home in South Carolina to visit him, but she never arrived. Uh, the, the ship was never, she left on it was never seen again. The most likely theory of what happened to it is that it fell victim to the Carolina bankers who were known to loot shipwrecks and kill everyone they found on board them um, and who often lured ships onto the shoals in order to carry this out if there weren't any ships naturally wrecking themselves. Yeah. Um, and there are several claims of people finding the body of a woman of high birth. Sometimes she'd washed ashore somewhere, sometimes she was found on a shipwreck. Uh, there was a story of a Karankawa chief who was wearing, who wore a locket with her name inscribed upon it, who claimed that he found a dying woman on a wrecked ship who gave him the locket and begged him to tell her story, which I guess her story was just that she was dying on a wrecked ship. I'm dead now, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's another claim that was reported by folklorist Edward Rowe Snow that gives a first-person account of her serene expression as she was forced to walk the plank. It describes her as stepping off the plank as if she was alighting from a carriage. It's a great description. Um, That ends. And that's... The story claims that all of her belongings were left untouched by the pirates who had who had ransacked the ship, including a, an oil portrait of her that she was taking to her father as a gift. <laughs> but that stuff was later stolen by wreckers who discovered the ship. And since that time, a woman has been seen on the beaches of Baldhead Island in North Carolina, reportedly searching for the lost painting, which is quite nice. That's- that's the thing that she wants the most, just yeah. a painting of herself. She's just wandering around the island looking for a painting to return it to her father, I guess. But the painting was found, or a painting like, that might have been the one that she had. Uh, was, this cost me a lot of money, motherfuckers. I want it back. Yeah, I sat for this painting for three days. It was yeah. exhausting. Yeah, right. I look really good in this painting, and it's yeah. the only one. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. They're unfinished business, you see. Yeah. Very important unfinished <laughs> business in this, in this case. Yeah, very important. Yeah, the like not the locket, not the jewellery, not anything else, just the painting of herself. Yeah, yeah. just the painting. I mean, fair, I suppose. Yeah. Like, everyone get weirdly attached to things, don't you? Yeah, and I mean, if there was one good photo of me and it only existed in physical form and I lost it, I'd be pretty upset. Yeah, that's true. I look terrible on those photos. It's no good. I don't know if I would come like spend eternity looking for it though yeah no probably not that sounds as boring as spending the eternity look doing the laundry in the white house <laughs> it really does yeah although when you've got places like the white house where there's supposedly loads of ghosts there, like virtually everyone who's ever lived there is supposed to haunt it i was like do you think they can see each other or yeah do they exist on different realms where like several of them haunt the same room but they don't know that the other one is there well that's that's jamie's question my my partner's question about ghosts is that if a ghost sees another ghost does it know that it's a ghost it's a good question Mm -hmm. 
I mean, like, the answer can they is even see each other. Yeah, well, that's true. Do ghosts choose who they're visible to, and do they hide deliberately hide from each other? Oh, my good question. Yeah. But then that would suggest that they have some kind of control over, like, yeah, their manifestation and what they can do, which would suggest that they choose to be around. That is true. And just hang about. Yeah. Well, I suppose you have, like, one of the things that we found was screaming skulls, which seems to be a weirdly English thing, (laughs) where they are obviously choosing to be around and choosing to behave in a certain way, (laughs) just to scream a lot. How many screaming skulls are there? Quite a lot, actually. So somebody sent us the screaming skull of Bert and Agnes. And then Oliver found another article specifically about screaming skulls which has five or six other ones in it wow like it seems to be a very specific thing like there's one of the excellently named theophilus broom that is an excellent name yeah right and then there's one of the screaming skull of bettiscombe manor Mm-hmm. And then there is another one about a farmhouse in Derbyshire, another one called the Screaming Skull of Tunstead Farm. And basically, they all have broadly the same story. So we'll do the Screaming Skull of Bert and Agnes because they're all mm-hmm. basically the same with minor variations of time and place, essentially. But Bert and Agnes was built by a guy called Sir Henry Griffiths in the 17th century. And he lived there with his three daughters and who you know never married for whatever and they had they had a lovely happy life frolicking about in their lovely country it's a manor it's like an elizabethan manor mm-hmm. like one of those places mm-hmm. until one day the youngest daughter was attacked on the street by a gang of robbers who left her for dead and she was brought back but her last words were very creepily that uh, she asked her sisters to cut off her head and hide her skull in the walls of the hall so that she would never leave it, which is deranged and creepy and super gross. So obviously everybody went, okay, honey, sure, sure, sure. (laughs) And they had a proper funeral for her and buried her. Mm -hmm. But as soon as she was buried, they started hearing screams, like blood-curdling horror movie screams and (gasps) bangs all throughout the night. And nothing could stop it. And they couldn't work out where it was coming from. It wasn't coming from anywhere. So they thought, as you do, only possible explanation is that we need to cut off Anne's head (laughs) and bring the skull back in and pop it somewhere so that we can get over this, which they did. And then the scream stopped, so that's good. That's that's very good. Yeah, but every so often somebody tries to, like, remove it. So at one point a chambermaid found the skull and flung it out of a window. Sure, as you do when you find a human skull. (laughs) Like, you're an employee. Don't throw shit away. Yeah, maybe unless... report that to... Or just be like, I found authority. a skull. What do you want me to do with it? Yeah. Like, are you the owner of the house? No. Do you own any of this stuff? No, don't throw stuff away that you don't own. It's like if the cleaner comes at work and cleans out the fridge and throws away, like, half-empty soup. And we're like, that was Except my soup for tomorrow. the possibility that that soup maybe should be investigated by police. Yeah. And anyway, so she threw that away. Don't do that. Don't wang out of a window. Like, at least try and find somewhere reasonable to put it. Yeah. Put it in a bin bag. Don't just pop it out of a window. Anyway, 
what happened was obviously the scream started until somebody found the skull again <laughs> and popped it back. Uh-huh. And it is now said that the the skull is still there, hidden somewhere behind a panel. I mean, that's so it's a, it. So that it doesn't get you, thrown away again and the screaming doesn't pick up again? Because if yeah. apparently keeping it in a cupboard is not a good idea. No, too easily discoverable. Yeah. Yeah. So And basically all stories are the same as that. Like the person says, oh, I want my head to be to stay in my house forever. And it's vitally important that you leave my skull there. And then somebody moves the skull and then there's lots of screaming. Imagine yeah. having a house so great that you wanted your skull left in it when you died. <laughs> so I, I think I, I like my flat, but I'm quite happy to leave it. <laughs> I think that this might be connected to like, you know how they say the English are really obsessed with home ownership mm. in a way that other Europeans aren't like just really obsessed with owning a house. Like This is the logical conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> If you take away my house that I own or take me away from it, I will scream for eternity. <laughs> it's really more screaming houses than screaming skulls, though. I feel a bit misled by the title. Like The yes. skull itself only... Like, screaming noises occur when the skull isn't around. Yeah. So we're... So obviously the ghost is just there. Yeah. Keeping Chilling. guard over its skull. Yeah. Which is the most boring reason to stay just really happy that the skull is there yeah until such a time as the skull gets taken at which point it freaks out yeah yeah all of this makes eternity sound really boring yeah it does yeah although okay this is a really good one from oliver that seems like quite a fun way to spend eternity uh-huh um this is a japanese one and basically there is a, a kind of a widowed samurai um called ogewara shinojo and he is kind of sitting by his house for some reason. And a beautiful woman and a beautiful young girl walk along holding a peony lantern. And he is immediately in love with the woman. Just instantly falls in love with this woman who has walked past his house, as you do. Mm-hmm. Not expecting, presumably, a deep relationship based on shared interests. <laughs> But that's okay. He is completely in love. He vows that they will be together forever. And so he tells her this and she's like, all right, I guess, but I can only come at night. So every night they arrive, her and the young girl arrive at dusk and then they leave before dawn. And he's fine with this. Apparently he's just so delighted that this beautiful woman is coming to shag. (laughs) Sure. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, I guess. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. She's real hot and she's willing. And they're going to be together forever. Except the neighbours are quite nosy and it's like, this is very weird that this woman comes and comes in and then always leaves and this is very suspicious. So the neighbour peeks in through the window and finds, and this is where we're not kink shaming, (laughs) finds Ogiwara in bed having sex with a skeleton. Oh my god! Yeah, if that is your thing and the skeleton consents, then fine. So the, she breaks this to him somehow. I'll be honest, it kind of skips here, but presumably somehow she's like, I don't like, you think she's a beautiful woman, but actually, trust me, she's a skeleton. <laughs> anyway, she somehow persuades him of this and Ogiwara goes to a priest, a Buddhist priest, um, and the priest is like, you're going to need a protection charm because this is dangerous. You can't just go around shagging skeletons. It's bad times. So... He's like, oh, but I don't think I can resist her. She looks so beautiful to me. I think that I might be able to... I don't think I'm going to be able to keep it in my pants. She's <laughs> so like, okay, we'll put a protection charm on your house and then she won't be able to come in. And as long as you don't go out, 
then everything is all right. So the woman can't enter and she is like, oh, come out to me, come out to me. And he's like, no, 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 I'm gonna, gonna be strong. It takes him about two seconds to crack and go out. Men, am I right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they just absolutely no self-control, whatever. Two seconds later, he goes outside and she's like, come out to my house. It's all right, I can't come in yours now, apparently, because you've put this charm on your house. Just come back to my house. And they go back to find that her house is a grave. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. And the next morning, the neighbour finds Ogawara's dead body wrapped around the woman's skeleton. <laughs> what so what I gather from this is that this woman is spending her afterlife just fucking men and killing them. I guess so. At least, at least he died doing what he loved. I mean, he died doing what he loved. He seems to have died reasonably happy, I guess. Yeah. And she seems to be having a great time. That's pretty good. And that sounds like a non-boring way to spend the afterlife. Yeah. I enjoy the story as, like, the most terrifying thing that can happen to you is that the sexy lady will be a ghost. Yeah. I mean, that's all sexy ladies are ghosts in their hearts. In their hearts, yes. <laughs> I mean, but then, like, the other thing I like about this story is that it's not like she peeks through and sees, like, a ghost or sees him with nobody... Yeah, it's a skeleton. He's banging a skeleton, yeah. Yeah, like that Chemical Brothers music video. Yeah, and there's a very, like, similar one, which is also Japanese, where basically the same thing happens. Like, a guy finds out that his girlfriend has died, and then he sees a girl who looks so much like her, and he's told that actually she didn't die it was just a rumor that she had died and he's like oh thank goodness when well, we can be together but we have to keep it a secret for reasons that are completely unclear <laughs> and, those are the best kinds of reasons yeah and so they're keeping it a secret and they're only seeing each other at night and then one day somebody peeks through a hole in the wall to watch them bang in and sees them having sex with a skeleton a lot of peeking through holes in walls which is not good um, behavior i've well there's no tv yeah i guess so there's no Netflix. Are you hear noise? Like, where are you going to get your pornography from, Janina? Uh, I guess you've got a point. By violating the consent of other people. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and then it turns out that actually she is a dead. Yeah, a lot of banging skeletons. Yeah. Surprising amount of banging skeletons. I've got a much less sexy one. Okay, that's our sexiest one, to be fair. That is our sexiest one. You don't get much sexier than that. No. Um, this one is not sexy at all. It's about a guy called Peter Blagojevich. I'm sure okay. that pronunciation was awful and I apologise for it. <laughs> <laughs> Lived in a small village in the middle of nowhere, Serbia. Very remote village in Serbia. Um, and he died in 1725. In the eight days following his death, nine other people died after brief illnesses. And they would claim on their deathbeds that he had visited them at night and throttled them. Um, his wife okay. also claimed that he had returned to their house after he died asking for food. She sensibly, like this woman a lot, moved to another village. Very uh, sensible. To be left alone. After so many people had reported him attacking them, an official investigation came and they had his grave exhumed, whereupon they found that his beard and nails appeared to still be growing and there was new skin on his body. So, sensibly, they staked him and the the report that they made said that he screamed and flesh blood began spurting from his ears and mouth. Nice. Yeah. It's not sexy at all. It's not sexy. It's quite good and bloody, though. Quite good and gory. We had Not many of these have been gory. No. Do you want a gory one? Yeah. Which on. is, like, a hor- like, genuinely horrifying on a number of different levels. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is from Fleegan of Trials, who was Suetonius's friend. And he wrote this book called The Book of Marvels, where he basically just went around and collected miracle stories. And I, had, I wrote an article about him for History Today earlier this year, because I think he's great and mm-hmm. uh, super fascinating. And so he has all these stories about like giants and centaurs and like all kinds of strange things. But he also it opens with stories about ghosts, where the ghosts are super weird, but this is by far the weirdest one. And it's about a guy called Polycritos the Aetolark, which is not sure. a word, it's a word he made up. Of course he did. Yes, it just means like the governor of Aetia. Uh, <laughs> so it's basically central Greece, and this is like, it's kind of unclear when this is happening, because he picks and chooses from all over like we're going right back to Bronze Age. Like he takes bits out of Homer, mm-hmm. and he'll be like, "Here's a story from Homer." And you're like, "Okay," <laughs> um, and he's like, "And here's a story from something that happened under the Emperor Nero." Sure. And he seems, yeah. But so this is Polycritus. Not clearly clear when it's happening, but it's happening in Greece. He is elected governor, and then marries a woman, that like a highborn woman, and they spend three days together, and then he dies. And they're quite clear that he's like, they spend three nights together. And then the fourth day, he just drops dead of unknown causes. But he managed to knock her up during those three days, which is quite impressive. It's solid work. Yeah, it is solid work. And so she carries the baby to term and she gives birth. But when she gives birth to the baby, the baby is intersex. That is not the word they use, obviously. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, In fact, they're quite descriptive of, of what it looks like, but... Yeah. Um, so this is seen as a kind of a terrible omen in both Greek and Roman culture. They were, it was considered to be like a sign that something really terrible had happened or, or was going to happen. It was like an omen. Right. And it was almost certainly bad. So basically what happens is the, the they take the baby to the agora the marketplace and call a meeting of the people and like what are we going to do about this like this is definitely a bad omen mm-hmm. and what would generally happen if you had an intersex child was that they would kill it or, and then they would burn the body because that would be the best way to get rid of the omen and they're trying to decide what this because they don't want to kill the baby nobody wants to kill a baby um so they're having kind of a debate about oh do we have to oh i don't really want to but i guess we do and all of a sudden Polycritus turns up and goes, Hi guys, I know I'm dead. Don't worry. It's very important to me that you don't worry. He spends quite a lot. It's like for a Fleegan story, it's quite long. And quite a lot of it is him going, Calm down. It's all right. I know that this is probably quite shocking and probably quite frightening for you, but everything's going to be okay. What I'm saying is, don't kill the baby. Like, you don't want to kill the baby. I don't want the baby to die. Nobody wants the baby to die. Everything's okay. Just give me the baby. And I was like, You're a ghost? He's like, Yes, I am a ghost. But it's okay. Just give me the baby and everything will be all right. And like, there's quite a lot of back and forth about the baby, uh, about what they're going to do with the baby. Mm-hmm. And when all of a sudden, like, somebody kind of le- takes it towards him and Polycritus, like, shoves everybody out of the way and grabs the baby and then eats it. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not where that I was expecting that to go. No, I've made it less gross. It actually tore the child limb from limb and ate it. Oh! <gasps> except the head, and then Polycritus just disappears and leaves the head on the ground, at which point the head starts talking. Okay, sure. What does it say? Yeah. That was shit? Why did you let that happen to me, maybe? No, the 
Um, <laughs> the people, I, like, I really like this translation. The people vexed at these happenings <laughs> in a state of extraordinary perplexity <laughs> wanted to send a delegation to Delphi in order to find out what was happening. But then all of a sudden, the head of the boy started to speak. And then it gives this really long prophecy saying that the reason that this terrible omen was born was because two people from two different tribes had got married and that they could there was like an abomination basically for the people of the Atolian and the people of the Locrian seed to marry well that seems like a bit of a stretch yeah um and then it gives this like long speech and then everybody just runs away sure yeah yeah uh, and just says and then the Atolians went and found a place of safety the end Cool, 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 yeah. cool. So there you go. A lot of things no about one that were horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is horrifying. It's really unclear what any of it is about. But yeah, it's it's super gory and super horrifying. Yeah. Fleegan's got quite a lot of good ghost stories and they're all fucking bizarre. <laughs> like they're yeah. all the weirdest ghost story you've ever heard. I feel like we've let the side down on ghosts uh, as modern Western society. Like they're all boring yeah, now. They almost never eat babies. Yeah, I watched the entirety of Haunting of Hill House and nothing that disturbing happened in it. No, I haven't seen all of it yet, so... No one eats a baby. I'll well, tell you that right bad. now. I wouldn't like that, to be honest. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. I'm very glad they didn't... But, like, I mean, you know, we're not that creative, is my point. I'm not saying I want babies to be eaten in a horror, in my modern-day horror diet, but, you know, mix it up a bit. yeah. Yeah, you know, we've all seen the woman in black floating down a hill, like, very scary, rah, rah. Yeah. Do you know, a friend of mine used to play the woman in black on the West End, and she had some great stories about how not to be a ghost. For example, there's a point in the play where she, like, comes down the aisle of the, of the theatre and then rises up onto the stage, um, and she, my friend, when she was playing this role, once just tripped, fell flat on her face right as she got to the top of the stage. <laughs> Which is a really good way of not being scary. (laughs) She fell over her own long black dress. Yeah, I mean, it's a risk when you're wearing, you know, an outfit like that, I guess. That's just like the the bang version of the quiet, quiet bang, scary. Like, it's an entrance. (laughs) It's less of a spooky entrance, more of a jumpy entrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (sighs) That's okay, jump scares (laughs) me. Yeah, it kind of breaks your suspension of disbelief. Yeah, a little bit. When you hear the ghost go thump. <laughs> <laughs> Got a nice quick one um, that's just quite satisfying. Uh, this okay. one is from China. About King Zhuan of Zhao ex- executed one of his ministers on false charges despite being warned that his minister, whose name was Tu Po, uh, would seek revenge from the- beyond the grave. Which he did three years later with in front of an assembly of feudal lords. Three years later, the nice. ghost of Tupo shot and killed uh, Juan with a bow and arrow. The ghost came out with a bow and arrow. I don't know. Maybe the feudal lords supplied it. It doesn't say. Wow. It doesn't, never clarifies. But he had an audience and he just straight up killed the man who had had him executed. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, good for him. I, mean. I like that he waited three years for the optimal, like the best optics of the situation. Like yeah. When it's the time when there's going to be the most people who will enjoy this. Yeah. Bide your time. Yeah. Don't do it like while he's walking around or when there's no audience. 
Yeah, no. Yeah. It's perfect Good timing. for him. Good for him. All right, good ghost stories. Lots of good different types of ghosts. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I like there's how physical quite a lot of them are as well. Like, a lot of them are very physically present. None of this floating through walls and... Yeah, none of this appearing as a white haze. Like coming out of someone's mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, ectoplasm. What are we going to do next time? Next time we are going to do quite like reasonably not similar but um we're going what's the history and origin of omens Ooh. so the rest of the question is this from from on twitter chris underscore maller i heard that the magpie myth comes from the fact that they mate for life so if you see one on its own it means its partners died but what about others which is interesting because i've heard a completely different story Ooh. for the magpie myth so we should look at weird omens and things It'll be fun. Yeah, and why people believe things about the strange things that we do, like salute magpies and not walk over three manhole covers and things like that. I will also tell you why that magpie saying freaks me out. Oh, that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and if anyone else has any questions, then you can find us on the Twitter machine at at sexyhistorypod. Or you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Yeah, or you can find us on the Facebook at Sixy without the E History Pod. Or you can, as some people have, ask us questions when you leave us reviews on the iTunes. Yes, please leave us reviews. Leave us reviews. We like them. And star ratings, high ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, if you want to give us less than like four stars, just don't bother. Just, just... I'll be honest, if you ask a question and then you leave us a four star review, we're never going to answer it. <laughs> Yeah. Like you may as well just throw your words into the sea. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find me at, at Nuclear Teeth. And I am at J9 and If. And Oliver is at Kiwa. Is that everything? I think everything. Which yeah. one day we'll work out some super professional slick thing that we say at the end and we don't go like, oh, did we forget a thing? Yeah, but today is not that day. Today is not a day. What was this? Episode 19? 20, I think. 20! Mm. Oh, congratulations, Janina. Happy 20th episode. Congratulations to you. Congratulations <laughs> to Oliver, too. Congratulations yeah, yeah. to everyone. <laughs> Yay! Well, we'll see you for episode 21 in two weeks. Bye! Bye!